This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Uh, we are delighted to be joined by two doctors, two excellent doctors from Tufts Medical Center to talk about the Tufts training program. We have with us a program director, Julian Wu, and associate program director, Ron Riesenberger. Guys, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. So, Julian, why don't we start with you, and, and why don't you just give us a little outline of what's going on at Tufts? I understand there are a lot of exciting new changes. You guys are working with some other programs. Is it Leahy, I think, uh, to have uh, a broader uh, experience in the education of your residents? Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Maybe I, should, I could begin and, and uh, say that actually Tufts, um, many of you fo folks may not know, is um, has a really distinguished tradition, and we actually, uh, uh, Tufts actually began in 1796, believe it or not, as the Boston Dispensary. Uh, these, um, these, uh, these, these was um, uh, formed by two patriots, Paul Revere and Sam Adams. So uh, it's been around for a long time. However, of course, the neurosurgery program uh, has not been as long. Uh, we've been ACGME accredited uh, since 1950. Um, as of two years ago, we've been we've been uh, training one uh, resident, alternating with two uh, two residents each year, um, which means eleven total of eleven residents. Uh, it's just like every other program; it's it's a seven year training program. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, um, uh, the Leahy Clinic, uh, we have a, a a close relationship with Leahy Clinic, which is a, uh, a uh, specialty practice, multi-specialty practice uh, in the suburbs of, uh, of uh, Boston, and our PGY six year uh, goes out to to Leahy Clinic, uh, uh, and it's a it's a great experience for them because uh, they get to uh, basically be uh, chief resident out there, uh, doing all uh, different types of surgery ranging from spine, uh, functional, skull base, uh, uh, and vascular surgeries. Um, the, uh, our, our program, uh, is, I, I think, uh, uh, very special in the sense that we, um, uh, we have no fellows and, uh, and, uh, by having no fellows, uh, the, uh, residents basically, uh, uh, it's a really resident centric program so that residents get to do auto operating. There's no competition with fellows. Um, and uh, we uh, stress one-on-one uh, -on -one type of training in the operating room with attendings. So the attendings always in the operating room uh, uh, operating with our, our, our residents, whether they're interns, uh, junior residents, or chief residents. Um, so um, a, the, um, the in addition, we, um, we uh, have been, uh, we have uh, physician assistants uh, in our program uh, since uh, oh, 19, 1980s, um, so it's been so we have a, a long, long tradition with physician assistants. We're very used to having physician assistants in, in our program, and and they are they are integral part of our program in helping us, uh, particularly the residents, uh, 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 take care of patients. Uh, uh, so and so the so the uh, residents can spend more time in the operating room. Um, so 
the training is mostly in one campus uh, at Tufts Medical Student uh, Tufts Medical Center, uh, which is uh, nestled in, in in Boston, uh, between Chinatown, the Theater District, and the Financial District. So it's really an urban uh, setting. Um, all the training is done uh, here, except for three months at the Boston Children's Hospital. Uh, in one year, as I said before, at Leahy Clinic in the PGY six year. Um, so um, uh, our, our program also, one thing I think um, uh, I'd like to mention is that we've hosted the, uh, the uh, Society of Neurological Surgeons uh, intern boot camp since the inception in 2010 for the New England, New York, and New Jersey area. So that's uh, during Jul in July, uh, and that's been a, a great, uh, uh, a, a program for all the interns uh, from this region to come and to uh, work together with uh, with uh, different attendings from different programs. Well, Dr. Wu, we, you know, thank you so much for that comprehensive overview of the program structure and what life looks like for the residents from a training perspective on the campus there. You know, it, we always consider it a privilege. It's only happened a few times doing this little series on the residencies across the continent where we get more than one faculty member to come on. So we get more than one perspective. So Dr. Riesenberger, now that we have a picture of the structure of the program there at Tufts, maybe you could talk with us a bit about your perspective on the program, what the culture is like, what the personalities are like, and what it feels like to train there. Sure. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Um, you know, one of the things I really wanted to highlight um, was Thursday morning didactics um, that we have uh, every week. Uh, the expectation Thursday mornings that all residents and attendings uh, attend this conference. And uh, just trying to be as detailed as possible for all the students turning, you know, tuning into the podcast. Let me just quickly tell you just as an example of, you know, this past Thursday's didactics. Um, you know, we started around 7.30 a.m. Uh, I reviewed a chapter uh, from John Martin's Neuroanatomy book, uh, which is a great book I'm reviewing with our residents throughout this academic year. Uh, then at 8.15 every Thursday morning, we have a resident case conference. Uh, a senior resident presents a case that no one else knows, and the residents in the audience try to localize a lesion based on history and exam, you know, review the images, and then go, go through surgical approaches, all with guidance from Dr. Wu, uh, our chairman, Carl Heilman, and the rest of the faculty. Um, after that, we have a grand rounds. Uh, this past week, we had a great talk by, uh, by Linda B. from the Brigham. Uh, after that, we have a, a combined conference with radiology. Uh, we present the most interesting cases of the week every Thursday. Uh, we review the images and the operation carried out for that particular patient's discussed. Uh, we have an a, we have a uh, expert uh, AV specialist in the department uh, who takes recorded videos off of our mic operating microscopes after we do our cases, uh, edits the cases uh, down to a few minutes, and then we show these videos uh, after showing their images, the patient images. And then the resident or the attending at the radiology conference uh, narrates all the operative steps, which is a, a great learning experience. Uh, we then have a lunch conference. Um, this past week at lunch, um, you know, I gave the residents a lecture about C12 pathology, uh, steps involved in a harms fusion. And then we had a lecture given by, uh, by Dr. Scott about uh, pediatric scalp masses. And uh, I hope that's just one example. Um, you know, it shows the effort that we put into resident education at Tufts. And, you know, you asked about culture. Uh, I think that these conferences, you know, create a, just a natural collegiality and like a cohesiveness among our faculty and residents. Uh, we spend so much time together. 
every Thursday in conference. And uh, as Julian was saying earlier, just with a basically a one-on-one -on -one mentorship type of relationship in the operating room. Um, if I could have one second to make sure I get this in, um, in, in case Dr. Wu uh, has, a, has a lot more to say, I want to just say that uh, I direct the neurosurgery sub -I at Tufts. Um, so for any students uh, listening to the podcast, you know, rising up the ranks out there uh, who want to do a visiting rotation at Tufts, uh, just, you know, email me directly, uh, rreesenberger at tuftsmedicalcenter.org. Maybe we can put my email in the, in the show notes. Uh, and if you're an interested student out there, you know, please come spend a month in our service. We'd love to host you. Happy to do that. And, you know, Dr. Wu, as we reach the end of the conversation, that was such a beautiful overview of such a comprehensive approach to academics and teaching and learning. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the academic opportunities for residents outside of a learning and educational environment. What kinds of research is getting done? How do the residents spend their elective time during residency there at Tufts? Um, thank you. Uh, we, we um, for, for uh, our residents, uh, during their fourth or fifth year, they have a one-year uh, opportunity to do research. And various residents take uh, uh, different approaches for that year. Uh, some uh, residents would take uh, would do research uh, with Dr. Malik, our cerebrovascular uh, neurosurgeon, uh, in his lab, his, his computational lab. Uh, some residents um, have uh, taken that uh, uh, research year to, to do uh, clinical research with other attendings. Uh, and uh, 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 we've also had uh, a residents uh, who took that year uh, to um, to get a, um, a, 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 a uh, MPH, for example. Um, uh, and uh, so it's, it's quite variable, uh, ranging from uh, basic science interests uh, to computer science, uh, clinical research, uh, and even uh, you know, a degree. So it's uh, in Boston, of course, fortunately, we're, uh, we're in a town where, where basically you can uh, find practically anything that you'd like to do here uh, as long as it's um, it's uh, a reasonable thing uh, I, uh, I've always uh, let the residents uh, decide what they want to do for that research year um, just to add one more thing uh, that research year uh, some residents uh, had used that year to uh, for their uh, info the fellowship uh, in uh, endovascular uh, uh, neurosurgery well, Dr. Wu and Dr. Riesenberg, uh, thank you for coming on our show today. Uh, I know Tufts is a fantastic program. We've had Carl Heilman on, uh, and uh, really I would encourage all the applicants out there to take a serious look at your fantastic program in Boston. Well, thank you very much for having us. Thank you, Mike and JP. Appreciate it. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast today with another installment in our residency spotlights for the 2021-22 interview season. We are overjoyed to have with us today Dr. Kurt Doberstein, the Program Director at Brown University. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast, sir. Thank you for having me, JP. For our guests, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe an overview of what the Neurosurgery Program at Brown means to you? You got it. Um, I'm a, a lifetimer at Brown. I came here after graduating my residency 26 years ago um, and never left. Really enjoy the university, enjoy the environment here in Providence. I've been the program director since 2007. 
so almost 15 years now. Um, and I've enjoyed it so much, I've really never even considered leaving. It's a really tremendous place, not only to work, but also to live. Wow. Well, you know, it's it's such a privilege to get to talk to the program directors at all these various institutions across the country. And I always enjoy when I, I get to speak with someone who is a lifer, like you said. I think it says something about the program that, like you said, you never even think about leaving. And also with your leadership of the residency, because you have this unique perspective. You've been there through throughout this significant period in the program's history. So you, you've seen how things have been, how they are now, and you're the one determining what they'll be like in the future. So maybe talk about what that perspective is like as you continue to continuously shape and reshape the next few years of the residency. Yeah, it's been uh, quite traumatic to watch the growth of our program over the years. When I first came here in 95, 1995, it was a one-year residency program, uh, small. We only had one physician's assistant to help with the resident service. We had six faculty members at that time. We grew through the years, well, through the years, in 2015 to become a one-to-one program. Dr. Ziago Kaslin joined us in 2015 and really spurred on a tremendous amount of growth both academically and clinically for the department. We're now a faculty of 15 with uh, a complement of 14 residents currently. The, uh, and our mid-level staff has grown to almost around, I would say between 15 and 20 at the present time. So watching that growth has been just unbelievably fun. Uh, but it's also uh, turned into a really robust educational environment for the residents in terms of research, in terms of clinical opportunities, subspecialties. Uh, the, the growth has been very calculated and uh, has occurred in a uh, not too fast a fashion. We've been able to grow with it and we're looking forward to further growth. We would like to permanently become a 222 program. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that in the near future. Uh, we are looking forward to recruiting a few more faculty uh, members and some specialties we would like to augment. Um, the research aspect of the program has grown tremendously uh, in terms of publications and grants and resident and faculty productivity. And I uh, give all kudos to Dr. Gokoslin for that. He's just been a tremendous leader and supporter of the residency program uh, that has allowed us to continue to grow. The uh, I should also mention we do spend a lot of time with residents working on work-life balance as well. This growth in both the clinical and educational research activities has been uh, pretty dramatic. Uh, and as you are fully aware as a resident, the uh, hours can be quite long. So we do, do take it very seriously with our residents. They make sure that they have a work-life balance and that uh, they're very mindful of activities outside of work as well. Right. Well, on behalf of all residents everywhere, yes, we do appreciate that. Um, and, and I'm sure that, you know, watching that growth over those years, as you described, was not only fun, but gratifying to see a program you love so much continue to grow and uh, achieve greater heights. I, I wonder, as you were talking about that growing uh, influence on subspecialties, on research, if you could talk a bit about what the residents do with the elective time built into the program. 
Absolutely. Um, the residents have a strong say in our curriculum. Um, I really do try to listen to them because, uh, as you know, JP, they are on the ground and, and really want to have the best educational experience they can have. So, for example, our program, like all neurosurgery programs, is a seven-year, uh, it's seven years in duration. The residents, it used to be our elective year was very early on in the two and three years, but the residents asked me to move that to the PGY four year, but since that's a little bit of a lighter year in preparation for the PGY five year, which is a dedicated research year with protected uh, call time. You, you don't have to take any call that year. So the format there was that they felt that if they had the elective year just prior to that, they could do all the preparatory work. Uh, such as applying for grants, doing any background reading, starting uh, to gear up for their research year. So when they started it in July or started in July, they're up and running. There's, there's no downtime. So the curriculum is ever, you know, we tweak it along the ways to try to make it better. Uh, the first uh, two to three years, well, the first three years are clinical. Um, we try to, as much as we can, as you're uh, acutely aware, it's hard with the junior residents having all the responsibilities on the floors in the ICUs to get to the OR, but we really try to get them to the OR to teach them the basics of neurosurgical principles. Then the fourth and fifth years, they're either doing electives, and some of those electives, they, they help create those. I sit down with each resident individually. And we put together an elective program that suits their needs and career ambitions. And for example, some of our residents wanted more activity in peripheral nerve. Uh, we have a peripheral nerve program, but they wanted to do more brachial plexus and advanced things. So they will rotate on plastic surgery for that. Uh, they will do some gamma knife during that. And then depending on their interests, sometimes they'll work in a TCD lab or an EEG lab. Uh, what, again, it's designed with what their um, wishes are. Uh, as their careers advance, they'll have each each resident has a different interest. The research year can be done either in a basic science lab. Here at Brown, we have a very uh, strong neuroscience department with lots of translational research with our department going on, and so a lot of the residents have joined. Uh, many of the basic science labs here at Brown. But for the residents who aren't interested in a basic science uh, experience, they can do an infolded fellowship. And we have infolded fellowships in endovascular surgery, brain tumor, functional, and spinal uh, surgery. And again, that's a flexible year. For example, our resident this year is very interested in quality in neurosurgery. And so he's doing a combined infolded spine fellowship, but is working with Dr. Albert Telfian, who's in charge of quality and safety for our department, and innovating a really uh, neat curriculum for advancing our program with respect to quality measures and safety. And now, obviously, most, many residents wouldn't be interested in that, but he was and is. So it's, it's fun to design uh, individual programs for each resident. And then they come back on the sixth and seventh years where they're the seniors and chief residents on the service. Very good. Well, Dr. Doberstein, as we uh, draw to a close here, I wonder if you could talk a bit about 
those few precious hours when the residents aren't in the hospital. What's life like in Providence? What do the residents do in their in their free time? Well, they're a pretty close-knit group of, of individuals, so they actually spend a fair amount of time together with their, them and their families, which is really nice to see. Providence, uh, for those of you who know Providence and know New England, is a, in a beautiful location. It's on the ocean. Uh, we are close to Boston and New York. Uh, the cuisine in Providence is world-class. So if you're here to be on a diet, this is maybe not the best place to be. You'll have to exercise a little bit more because the restaurants are fantastic. Uh, along the coast, there are a ton of coastal activities. So a lot of our residents find themselves in the summer beaching, going to the beach, boating, traveling. A lot of them are very interested in athletic activities such as hiking and biking. And New England is just a tremendous area to do that. Um, wintertime, there's skiing available uh, or snowboarding, whatever your passion is. So winter sports are fairly active. So we have a, a beautiful four seasons, and, and Rhode Island, I think, is a very special place to spend those, uh, those times off that you have. We uh, do take the duty hours uh, very seriously. Uh, we do make sure that residents have adequate time off uh, with vacation schedule, weekends, and that type of thing, which they appreciate. And from a program director's perspective, I think that makes them a lot more productive and creates a, a really good learning environment for them. Yet they still, I think, have a lot of fun if you ask them outside of work. Marvelous. Well, Dr. Doberstein, we're very grateful for your time today to come on and let our listeners, in particular the applicants this year, know what exactly Brown University Neurosurgery has to offer. Thanks for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast, sir. Thank you, JP, and I wish you the best of luck. So we're continuing our conversations with all of the programs in America and Canada, and we are absolutely delighted to be joined by Dr. Ponce, who is the program director at the Barrow Neurological Institute. Dr. Ponce, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. So, you know, I've been very excited to talk to you because Barrow is obviously a very special program in a lot of ways, and you guys attract a lot of sub-interns. Why don't you start by telling us how, how this is going for you in terms of COVID, because you know, things have changed a lot for many programs, but I know you guys are still getting a lot of sub-interns, right? Yeah, we had about, uh, I think, six, seven in, uh, sub-eyes uh, per month for a three-month period. And uh, our hospital, fortunately, has been pretty uh, open. Uh, we have not had the same barriers some other places might have had in terms of uh, making it accessible. With 11 operating rooms, uh, we have that room to have those uh, that volume of sub-eyes coming through. Yeah, so had, you guys have not felt quite as much of a change as I guess most other places that are university run, right? Like our university just mandates like no Christmas parties, right? It's a it's a bureaucratic system. You guys have a little more liberty, a little more freedom. It's run a little bit more privately. So it, it sounds like you guys have been doing better. But what has changed for you guys? The um, I think with with regard to COVID, thinking specifically about what the uh, uh, applicants have gone through, I think most of it has been. Uh, more what's been uh, mandated or recommended by SNS, uh, because we, we the first part of the um, uh, the season has been relatively uh, similar to uh, what we've seen in the past, before, you know, pre October. Uh, we we have had a um, a change in anesthesia. We've had a, an anesthesia shortage, and that's influenced how many of our operating rooms are up and running. Uh, so that that's been a change, and that was something that I think COVID kind of. Uh, uh, kicked off. We've seen an anesthesia shortage throughout the country. So we actually had a period of time when out of 11 operating rooms, we were only running eight. 
Well, I wonder, thinking about how things are different this year and, and the process of how many students you normally have come through who are able to see the program there in person this year, obviously that number's less, both for sub-eyes and for interviews, which are being conducted virtually. Maybe you could talk a bit with the students. You know, obviously Barrow is an historic program and so many luminaries in the field have worked and currently work there, many of whom have been on the show with us here. We've been honored to speak with them, but maybe you could speak a bit to the applicants who won't have a chance to visit you right out of the gate this year about what things are like there at the Institute, what the culture is like, and what the day-to-day life is like with all those rooms up and running. Yeah, so that's been, now that we actually are in interview season, the uh, uh, the virtual format is what remains different. And uh, I think one thing, you know, Barrow has kind of had their own unique uh, system for interviews where you'd show up in your suit and then you'd switch into scrubs and hang out for two days carrying a pager, seeing what a day in the life in the operating room is like. And if it's a slow day, that's what they re- the, the applicants see. And, um, and they go out to dinner with the, uh, the residents. They attend uh, Lawton rounds in the evening. They round with the residents at six in the morning. Uh, and so they kind of get to see that, that vibe. And I think that's what they're really missing out on uh, through the virtual format. And um, I think we take a lot of pride in sort of having this A-team of residents, like amazing residents, a lot of uh, esprit de corps. Uh, and that's something that is we weren't able to capture, even with sort of the, uh, the breakout sessions last year, such that we're, we're not really doing those breakout sessions this year. They've always interviewed with the fifth-year residents because those will be the chiefs when they're juniors. Uh, but I, I think that that's one thing that uh, is really lost in the virtual format. So it's an A-team of residents, and it's um, uh, and, and they get to do a lot in the operating room, and they do a lot of surgeries. And seeing how that dynamic is fostered between between the residents and between residents and faculty uh, is something that I've always found special about Barrow and something that the current year uh, has, is not able to really see in a virtual format. Yeah, so Francisco, let's go a little deeper into that because I think that the BNI is a, is a special place. And I've heard stories about how the residents have their own offices and all these things that are quite different from any other academic uh, university-based uh, program. Tell us about you know what is different there. And I know that there's a lot of athletic training. I know there's a lot of the hiking up and down the Grand Canyon and playing softball. Tell us tell us what you think. And you trained there, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always been your lifer, right? So tell us about what you think your vision is of the BNI that makes it different, because not everybody gets to visit and not everybody gets to do a sub I, right? Right. Now I, I think there's qualities that uh, every program kind of has and. Uh, there's similarities, and I think it's how those qualities kind of mix that make uh, this this unique. Uh, I think in, in addition to having you know this this amazing team of residents and a lot of surgery, you know we have 28 residents. Um, I remember when I was interviewing, uh, this had the this had the reputation of being the master's program. You know, this is the era of uh, Spetzler and Sontag, and sort of you know these operations that make a seven-year training program necessary. And uh, with with Dr. Lawton at the helm, you know, we continue to be sort of that look what I can do, look what I can do that you can't do kind of level of technical expertise uh, that I think increasingly with standardization that we're seeing in spine uh, becomes less of the endpoint uh, when people when people graduate, but remains sort of that pinnacle uh, of neurosurgery where you know as a chief resident we're clipping aneurysms. And so we, we still see a lot of that microvascular neurosurgery, a lot of the microdissection technique, uh, and um, in fostering the autonomy uh, that has kind of made Barrow stand out remains uh, a goal and is a challenge as um, we see kind of increasing pressure with 
outcomes and efficiency and the standardization of operations, I think, again, is, is what we're seeing with Spine, uh, how you kind of create that room for residents to really grow in the operating room when there's that growing emphasis on, you know, making sure that our single level ICDs or two level ICDs go home same day. Uh, and so kind of mastering these changes in, um, in uh, medicine, uh, I think, is becoming increasingly important to maintaining uh, kind of that experience that's been uh, core to uh, the Barrow residency. Um, we have a, a publications office that's been real critical to our academic impact. And I think when consider looking at, you know, the team of residents, the autonomy, the surgical mastery and the volume, uh, the academics remain sort of what draws people here and sort of the uh, expectations and paying it forward once they match. You know, thinking about the growth of the residencies throughout their progress in the program there, and as you so eloquently mentioned there, the different arms of the program at Barrow between the clinical volume, the clinical excellence and standardization, the academic output, maybe you could speak a bit about the personalization of the residency for a given resident. How do your residents tend to spend their elective time? What kind of uh, utilities are available to them in their individual pursuits? So we, um, we started a mentor program. We've, we've had several iterations of mentorship programs here. And the most recent one started about two years ago. And I think any mentor program, you know, can be kind of forced unless there's a defined purpose. And the purpose of it right now has been um, uh, kind of starting to think about the 18 month of elective time that the residents have fifth and sixth year and uh, having a little bit more coaching earlier on in terms of uh, 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 creating a narrative, right? And, and I think that the, the narrative of residency, so it's not just a cookie cutter experience here, uh, culminates with that elective time. And it's really kind of what, you, what you're able to articulate is what made your experience unique and special. And um, we've always kind of had a, a heavy uh, away experience during those, uh, that elective period. Um, over the past probably seven years, we've seen more and more uh, residents going, you know, coast to coast during their six year, spinning it away. And um, for as a program, making sure that uh, there's a rationale, kind of a, there's an academic uh, goal in mind uh, when residents choose to do this and identify what, uh, even what deficiencies we have here, why residents are going outside. But I think the cross-pollinization has always been a plus here. I spent six months in Toronto. Most of the Barrow faculty who trained at Barrow spent uh, at least six months elsewhere and their uh, subspecialization at Barrow draws upon the, t uh, the time they spend outside. Um, we don't. We continue to have a PGY seven chief year, uh, and we've kept. I've kept an eye on uh, other programs as, as they've uh, adjusted to the cast requirements for infolded fellowships, uh, where other programs have started making a PGY six chief year an option. We've kind of remained with the PGY seven year, uh, such that the uh, away time that somebody may do spend their infolded fellowship uh, as a PGY six doesn't meet the criteria forecast, but contributes to the program insofar as then they get to come back here as chiefs uh, with uh, what they did during that year and, um, and bring that to the residents. Uh, I think that's been been huge. Um, I, but no, that, that we, we continue to have that PGY-7 uh, chief year. I think 50% of programs I heard uh, roughly are, are moving toward a uh, six-year PGY uh, chief year uh, so that they can uh, incorporate a CAST-approved PGY-7 fellowship and forward. So Francisco, as we draw this to a close, I know that the BNI is one of those highly sought after programs. You have a lot of applicants who are going to rank you very highly. How does an applicant in this day and age demonstrate that they really 
are excited about and interested in in trying to match at your program? What's what's the kind of advice you give to applicants regarding that? Uh, I think the there's a lot that happens uh, with our fifth year residents. Uh, that's a great uh, avenue through which to kind of express uh, additional enthusiasm or interest or kind of uh, demonstrate what what the what your potential fit might be. Um, you know, I, I think that the SNS has uh, kind of support been supportive of uh, having uh, applicants. Uh, visit places in person, you know, limiting it to two or three. That's not a requirement, uh, but I think we're going to uh, look to see how we can kind of create an experience uh, similar to our previous years uh, in, in uh, interview seasons so they can see what it's like uh, a day in the life in the OR, not just in Phoenix. Yeah. And if you want an undiluted uh, <laughs> version of that statement, please tune in to Dr. Ricardo Comitar, who is our program director here in Miami, comment on that as we kick off this uh, this series on the programs. So I want to thank you on behalf of JP and myself for coming on to the Neurosurgery Podcast and highlighting the BNI. Thanks again for having me. It's a pleasure. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.